This is the Mini Market Podcast. Welcome back to the Mini Market Podcast, Super Bowl Week Edition. We have a three-man weave. Dalton here with Isaiah and Connor. Guys, happy Super Bowl week. How are we feeling today? Um, I'm pretty sure legally you have to say the big game. Um, so do we want to start the podcast over or should we just take the hit since we're making so much money here at the Mini Market Podcast? Yeah, a lot of money. The granddaddy of them all. I like that. I can roll with that. I don't think that's the right game, but let's just keep it moving. I'm feeling good today, Connor. How about you? I'm ready to be back. Excited to be back. Had fun listening last week. Um, A lot of good stuff with the Olympics. It's been exciting to watch some of those events. Um, Yeah, big time. I'm happy to be back. Ready to roll. Guys, we have a favorite Super Bowl snack. Does the Mini Market Pod have have a sponsored snack? What are you going for? Snack table, Super Bowl party. Where are you going first? A shorter list for me is what snack I'm not going for. But um, I think anybody who has watched the big game, Dalton, lawsuits pending, um, Thank you, with, knows that I feel like there's always mini weenies, barbecue sauce, mini weenies. That to me is like one of the staple snacks of a Super Bowl party. Um it's one of those things where like you don't really need it that often either. Like I can remember when Isaiah and I lived in St. Louis Park and we got like way too much one year. And then we were eating mini weenies for like the next two weeks and we we're kind of like, this fucking sucks. But <laughs> just for that day, it's like, yeah, this is perfect. You always want to make not enough. Like, you know, a lot of times you're like, oh, worst thing ever could be run out of food. Best thing ever for mini weenies is when demand is high and supply is low. And so it's like, oh, I only got one mini weenie. It's like, I know, but enjoy the dips. There's always next year with the mini weenies. Keep some, keep some want more, keep some coming back. I'm pretty sure Connor, after that uh, week of mini weenies, I had a doctor's appointment and they scolded me about my sodium intake heavily because of those mini weenies. I was like, it's not my fault. It's the mini weenies. It's the mini weenies. But yeah, I agree with you, Connor. That's a good one. Physical. I don't know why you're talking about mini weenies, but um, All right, moving on. Um, <clears throat> I'll go with my favorite is, um, and maybe this is just a nostalgia thing that's hitting me right now, but I'm going spinach artichoke dip because I had almost like a life-changing experience when I was like 11 years old um, revolving around some spinach artichoke dip. It was like the tell. first time that I, my parents like let me go to a friend's house for the big game. Usually we are a stay at home, make sloppy joes type of family. Um, oh, so mustard sloppy and joes. joes. Sloppy oh. joes is high on my list, but for for the sake of this story, we won't talk about the joes. Um, but so I'm at a, a friend's house, and the, their mom comes down. And is like, uh, does anybody want spinach artichoke dip? And I was like, no, thank you. But everybody else was kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do it. I was like, hmm. This might be better than I thought. So it comes down and I, mind you, had never heard of spinach artichoke dip in my entire life. And I didn't realize that it was like 95% cheese. There's almost no spinach or artichoke in it. Um, mm-hmm. It's just cheese and garlic and, and then pair it with some wheat thins. Blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. I probably ate and I'm lactose intolerant. So I was farting up a storm in that basement watching the Super Bowl, watching the Packers win the Super Bowl. So that was brutal. Family again because they didn't. <laughs> Invited. But uh, yeah, so spinach artichoke dip is um, pretty high on my list. And I think it's just because it was such a seminal moment in my life when that, that dip first hit these lips. So you eat them with Weathens? Like, I, I feel like you can eat that with anything. Like, I've heard pita bread and like chips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but Weathen, that is not, I was going to ask, are you a chips or a pita bread guy? Are you, but, you say Weathen like the name Ethan? Yeah. Is that- what are you saying, Connor? <laughs> Weathens. It's two words. It's not Mount Vistanka. It's Wheat Thins. I know, but I just say Wheat Thins. The letters are all in there, fellas. Okay? Wheat Thin Boys. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm a Wheat Thin guy through and through. I think they're one of the best crackers out there. Uh, they got a great crunch, thin little snap, good amount of salt, a little bit of toast to them. Yeah, huge on a Wheat, wheat Thin. The old Wheat Thins. 
Dalt, what what uh, tops your list? I don't know if it tops my list, but you know what never misses is just a good old meat and cheese tray with some with a cracker selection. Keep going back all night. That one you never get sick of. It's a full meal. Like if you think about it, if you just keep hitting it, you keep getting that different. Like you get the capicola, you get the salami, you know, you get the uh, prosciutto wrapped around mozzarella cheese. You can really fill yourself up. Maybe a couple of grapes because you're a healthy guy. I know, Dalt. I think uh, that's a really good choice. Do, do you have a favorite cracker? Like now that we are talking about Wheatons, um, does, does do you, because like I was actually thinking about this earlier this week. So it's kind of wild that it's, it's come to this with the, with the meat and cheese tray. But like for me, like I don't think and this is going to surprise you guys, but like Ritz is my favorite cracker and I don't think anything's even close. But do you guys have one, like a certain cracker that you like a lot? This is just recon for me now. Those thin pretzel things that are at all the grocery stores, the like Chipotle flavor, the whatever flavored ones of those are so good. Like all the flavors just bang. Yeah, those are really good. And they are a great vessel for dips. Oh, Especially like just the plain one with the dip goes so hard. You got to make sure that it's like a creamy dip, though, because those things are snapping. <laughs> Brittle. Brittle. Um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm, I've got three that are really high up there. I'm with you on Ritz. You know, we just like used to sit in our dorm room and eat peanut butter and Ritz till um, we were blue in the, the face. Cows came yeah, home. exactly. Um, I talked about wheat thins. I'm going to ride or die with wheat thins. But the third one that's up there on my list is the Club Cracker. Knew it. Because I can eat a sleeve of club crackers before I even blink. Those things go down so smooth. They don't, you don't, I don't even put anything on them. I just shovel club cracker into my mouth until I'm just chewing out crumbs because there's no saliva left in my mouth. Just dry. Speaking of, uh, another one that I would eat is just a plain saltine. And I know that's crazy, but yeah. plain saltines will hit sometimes. I'm kind of down on the saltines, but the club cracker, that's like an... To me, the club's a really good one with like just a slice of cheddar cheese, oh, like just oh. simple, but it's super good together for whatever reason. Like with the Ritz, it's like I either want it with like some peanut butter or mm -hmm. like give me a summer sausage in there or something like that. But the club, it's just simple with that you know, cheddar cheese, baby. This is the most Minnesota segment of all time. Like, what are your favorite crackers? We named Ritz, saltines, and club crackers. The white bread, the most plain <laughs> of all crackers. No flavor, but we're like, oh, so good. Yes, could eat them all day. Here's a sneaky one. I'm just going to ignore that, Dalt. Here's a sneaky yeah, one, Connor. Uh, I think we've maybe talked about this, but I really like to eat Ritz dipped in applesauce. Oh, I can get us Works because it's this beautiful balance of sweet and sweet. salty. And it keeps your mouth a little bit moisturized so you can have a lot more of the Ritz crackers. And I even like to get them just on the edge of almost getting soggy, but they still have a like on one half and then they still have crunch on the other half. You just put the whole thing in. It works. Don't knock it till you try it, folks. Yeah, I, I, I can see it. I can see it now. I'm going to a dips party mm -hmm. for the Super Bowl. 27 dips going to be there. This is getting me fired up. I'm hungry. Can you name all the dips? No, it's going to be a surprise. We're bringing three. The other 24, who knows? What are you bringing? We're bringing a beer cheese dip. Okay. Friends recipe. Minnesota. Had it once. Delicious. Okay. Yeah, shitting on the Midwest Cracker Gang over here, and then you bring fucking beer dip, pal. Yeah, also, pot black, calling the kettle sir. black over there. The recipe is from someone from Wisconsin, so... Minnesota, Wisconsin. Uh, then we've, we're bringing a, it's like a brie and pepper jam dip. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Brie with a little bit of spicy jam is really good. And if you haven't tried brie with a little bit of spicy honey, get that into the Ooh, yeah, mix the of your honey. life too. Yeah. And then we're topping it off with taco dip. Kind of three staples. I mean, maybe the brie's a little out there, but the other one's kind of classic dips. Has the taco dip usurped uh, buffalo chicken dip as the like basic bitch uh, dip? Because I think it might have. I think it might have taken over like cowboy caviar, or, like taco dip, whatever you want to call it. I feel like it has really 
risen in popularity recently. And I'm not hearing as much about the old uh, buffalo chicken dip. What do you guys think? I think you're on to something there because I definitely feel like I've seen taco dip more at parties than I have buffalo chicken dip, which is a change in like the last five years. Yeah, because it used to be you couldn't end up at a party related to sports without somebody being like, oh, I make the best buffalo chicken dip. It's going to blow your mind. It's chicken, buffalo sauce, and cream cheese. You'll never see it coming. And now it's like, I make the best taco dip. It's ground beef and salsa and cheese. It'll blow your mind. So it's the same thing, just in a different vessel. Yeah. I agree. But I'd say one is a little harder on the tummy than others. <laughs> Lactose. So I am, I'm officially here Cheap. for the taco, the rise of the taco dip because the buffalo one, you know, I don't need to get into it, but oof. I just think like cream cheese is so heavy. So like eating a lot of the buffalo chicken dip was always a challenge for me. But taco dip, you can smash that for weeks. Like for me anyways, I love tacos too, so. They're both high floor, low ceiling dips. You just know, you kind of yeah. know what you're getting. Wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Hard to mess it up. And the, Connor, I'm with you. The taco dip is kind of like the water cooler of the Super Bowl party where you just kind of hang out near the taco dip and you just kind of spark up a conversation with ever, whoever comes by. You know, you're just that guy. You're always there. You're dipping. You're going, you know, knuckles deep right into the pressure yep. cooker. And, uh, but How about whoever those comes Clydesdales? by. Exactly. Like, hey, do you think there's going to be a Doritos commercial this year? Uh, are you guys big Super Bowl commercial people? Like, do you always look forward to them? Are you like, shh, shh, commercials are on now. Quiet down. I, uh, I y- used to be, and I still try to be, but then it's like, I think the bubble maybe burst on Super Bowl commercials because they just haven't been as interesting or good lately. Um, so I'm, I'm like still hanging on to that idea that they're going to be better than the game. So I'm like, just sitting like, Hey, everybody shut up. Commercials are on. And then it's like U S bank, U S bank. And I think the, the sign that the bubble has burst is that who's hosting the Super Bowl this year for what network is it? Is it NBC? I think it's NBC. You're going to see a lot of local programming NBC commercials. And that to me tells you that the prices are too high and people aren't Mm. there. The return on investment is no longer um, positive. So the networks just put their own, like, you know, you're going to see whatever shows on NBC at 7 PM on Thursdays, Chicago PD, that kind of thing. Yeah. Good point. I feel like it's a, it's like an old person take, but like it feels like when we were young, the commercials were so much like funnier and like you know, so much more gripping. In exactly what Isaiah said, it just feels like it's dozed off in our old age. Do you think it's social media? Has social media numbed us to like funny stuff? Where now we're just seeing funny stuff all day, and like clever little bits aren't as unique as they were when we were like twelve. That's a real old person take. Like, yeah, let's blame but, social media. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't hate it. That and the microchips the government's putting in our bodies, but. Well, the microchips should help. <laughs> they should just press a button. We all laugh. We're like, oh, oh, oh that was a good one. <laughs> At the same time, I think. Days, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's jump into our Super Bowl prop bets section. We're going to run through some props. I want to hear your guys' bets on these props. First one. Will Joe Burrow be shown smoking a cigar at any point during the broadcast? No is actually heavily favored here. Minus 1350. Yes, it's plus 700. Yes or no? Cigar. I'm on the yes train for this one. One, I think he's going to win. I kind of like the Bengals in this one. So I think he's going to smoke a cigar on the field after the game because Joe doesn't give a fuck. He'll be on the podium accepting the trophy, but like have one hand with the cigar. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I don't see any way they make it through this broadcast without showing that like picture of them in the locker room after their first round win. He's got the stogie hanging out. Mm -hmm. What will be said first during the game? Detroit Lions or Jared Goff? 
Even odds. I think it's going to be Detroit Lions because I think they're going to say Matthew Stafford acquired in a trade with Detroit Lions for Jared Goff as opposed to saying Jared Goff before. They're going to bring up that trade and be like, what an awesome trade because it it worked out really well for the Rams. So I'm going Detroit Lions. Yeah, that seems safe. How many times is Roger Goodell going to be shown? Over under one and a half. Doesn't he give away the trophy? So isn't it kind of a lock that it's at least once? I don't even know if he does. When the Vikings win it, sometime we'll find out. But until then. I do generally turn it off before the trophy ceremony. Same. I'm a very like, game's over, I'm done. Especially because usually I yeah, pick the wrong team to win. <laughs> <laughs> I, all right, I got to go home. My stomach hurts. <laughs> I think the last Super Bowl I actually saw the end of was the overtime Patriots comeback against the Falcons. Otherwise, I'm out after like the third quarter. Wild, I'll take. What are you doing? Sleeping. Where do you go? Everybody's... It's Sunday. It's Sunday. <laughs> it's like Sunday at six thirty. The game starts so early. No, 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 no. East Coast time. Late. <laughs> it's like literally. I think the game starts at six Eastern, so it'll get done before like ten, probably. Right. But there's like a sixty-five minute halftime show. The commercial breaks are long as hell. So, wow. are you saying it's going to be later than ten? And your bedtime is before. There's 10. the prop bet. Yeah. How long is Dalton going to last in the game? Over under three quarters. Let me know where you're betting. We'll make some money on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Dalton's the house. All right. Last one. Which QB's name is going to be said first during the game? Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. I got to go. It's got to be Aaron Rodgers just because he wore that suit or whatever, which has taken over Twitter and he won MVP this year. So I feel like they're going to have to mention it when they're going through like Cooper Cup won an award and Jamar Chase won an award. So they're going to have to talk about Aaron Rodgers MVP. Yeah, that seems right. Just kidding. That was not the last one. I want to do two more. First jersey, num- jersey number to score the first touchdown over under is set at 23 and a half. I'm going under. A lot of big name players in this game have a jersey number under 20. So 23 and a half, just a little extra cush. I'm uh I'm going over because everybody's gonna be queuing up on how to stop those big name guys, and a tight end's gonna be open hey. over the middle. Tight ends and most of the running backs. Here it says the only running back that wears under 23 and a half is Cam Akers. The rest all above. And those tight ends. Last one. Real last one. Will Joe Burrow, will will he be compared to Macaulay Culkin on the broadcast? Heavy favored no. It's all the rave on Twitter right now. And I feel like the broadcast like generally lean towards like stealing stuff from social media because it's funny sometimes. So I'm going to go. Yes. Try to make a bunch of money on this one. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to go. No, I just think that sometimes we have to try to detach ourselves from the world that is Twitter and realize it's probably not representative of the actual world and what people are talking about in sports. Wow. Yeah. Deep. Harsh reality. Yeah. Oof. Sheesh. Clear it out. All right, let's Sorry, let's Twitter. swap over to the Vikings. Let's say football, talk Vikes, talking quarterbacks. Like, you have some Kirk Cousins knowledge you want to drop on us? Yeah, um, this is going to be a bear with me segment, folks. So bear with me. Um, I think I think it was last week. It was maybe two weeks ago. Um, Chad Graff at the Athletic had a I thought really interesting article come out. Um, the headline was Kirk Cousins will never be an elite QB. Um, for me, there were a couple key takeaways from this article, um, but I'll try to give you guys a little bit of context and some of the background from this article. But um, basically, the two two main things that come from this are that um, 
Chad Graff is trying to understand why Kirk Cousins is 59, 59, and two in his uh, seven years as a starting quarterback. Because as we all know from following Kirk Cousins, you can, whatever you want to say about him, you can say it and you have stats to support your argument. So if you want to say he's good, you have stats to support that he's good. If you want to say he's bad, you have stats that support that, or you can be like gut feel, whatever, 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 right? Um, so Graf does, I think, a really good job of getting into like away from the stats a little bit and trying to like get into the mindset of Kirk Cousins. And um, basically what he outlines is that Cousins is um, pretty risk averse in the way that he plays quarterback. He's very much like focused on just taking whatever the defense gives him. That's like his, his main mantra is take what the defense gives you, don't force the issue, whatever, whatever, right? Um, so just a couple quick stats um, that sort of outline the tricky nature of Kirk Cousins. First is that he's sixth best in passer rating since he became a starter in the NFL. In 20, since 2015. So very good, right? Um, but then like double click, a little bit of crunch time stuff. His, Thank you. His, <laughs> okay, so context is uh, expected points per passing attempt ranks like top 10, I think, or just outside top 10 in quarterbacks. It's 13th, um, which is, it's pretty good, right? Like it's not bad. Um, but then when you get into the crunch time, so this is the two score game, 10 minutes or less, um, Kirk Cousins, his uh, expected pass per or expected points added per attempt goes down to twenty fifth in the NFL quarterbacks. And the the in, important distinction that Graf made is like it's not always like there's so many other factors that go into a lot of this stuff. But he's just saying the the drop off between what he is normally and what he is in crunch time is. 86% difference. And that was 38th among quarterbacks over that time in the NFL. So the important How many teams part, are there? Uh, there is 30, but there's, you know, other teams that more than one quarterback over that amount of time, right? 32 teams, whatever. But so it was like a, it's like a, a monumental drop between normal time and crunch time and third down. Um, so it's like, okay, he, he's a little bit tricky in crunch time, right? Like it's, it's a little bit, it's not perfect, right? Oh yeah. Okay. And so beyond the stats graph goes into kind of some things about his mindset and like growing up, who, how did Kirk Cousins become Kirk Cousins? I know, I think a lot of us are really familiar with some of his background um, and what it took for him to get to the NFL. It's a actually very good story. Um, I think a lot of like smaller guys, overlooked guys should be like me, should be huge Kirk Cousins fans. They should be all in on everything that he's done. Looked at him in high school. He was getting just a few Mac offers, like barely. He held out till he got that Michigan State offer, was low on the depth chart, walked on, all this stuff, like battled his way to becoming QB1. Um, so he never had a ton of security in his like football career, right? Like he's, it's until he got to Minnesota, it was always kind of like, flying by the seat of his pants, even when he was drafted in Washington, he was the second guy drafted, drafted to be a backup or like a secondary option. Um, so he's really had to battle for what he's earned. And this has, as Graf outlines, really manifested itself in how he looks at getting contracts and his financial situation. So he's said numerous times that he values guaranteed money over total money, which as we know, as Vikings fans is obvious because he has like an insane guaranteed amount of money in his contract. So he like held on to negotiate that portion of it because it's really important to him. And one of the things that he said is why it's so important to him is because it gives him quote, a license to lead. This is what he said. He thought that having a defined role because of your finances allows him to feel comfortable bringing his voice up in the locker room and be being a leader. And for me, this was like a really concerning thing. Yeah. Like that was huge red flag to me. Um, so Cousins said he's been in situations in the past, going back to college where he didn't know if uh, he would start or not. And it was really hard to assert his personality in the locker room because he didn't want to step on the toes of other people. 
Um, and so that's something when you know your role, it's been defined, you can then lead from a place of great comfort. And I think that helps the overall dynamic. I'm looking at this as a person who's been a part of a lot of teams growing up. And I think that that is insane. I think we all know that mm-hmm. um, leadership comes in a lot of different ways. I think we've all been parts of teams where defined leaders have been terrible. Like you have a captain who just can't figure it out. They weren't born to be a leader. You also have the flip side of like younger guys who just step up. They don't play a ton or, you know, like they're not that important to the on-field part of the team, but they just step up and they find their way to be leaders. And I think that that is an important distinction because a lot of like quarterback play is leadership. And if you have a guy who's not confident being a leader, unless he's like firm in his standing as starter, I think he was never meant to be a leader. If you can't be a leader until you have the title or the comfort of being a leader, you're not a leader. That's the way that I look at it. I think if you are a true born leader, you find a way no matter what to assert some part portion of your leadership style. And it doesn't always have to be the big voice. Sometimes it can be the small voice. And that's what you do if you don't feel like you have the biggest role or other most important guy on the team. You use your small voice. Um, so for me, that was like, and Graf didn't really get into this portion of it. He was using it as a bigger piece. But I was like, if you need the money to define you as a leader, you're not a leader. And I think it also explains why the Vikings have never had a serviceable backup while Kirk Cousins has been quarterback. It's like he's scared of everything around him collapsing. Um, So I don't know how you guys feel about that portion of it. That was the big first takeaway of the article for me. Connor? One thing thing I'll say is that, and it's just more playing devil's advocate because I can see the other side of this, is that none of us have ever played in a locker room where people are actually making money doing what they're doing. So like, that's the one tricky part for me, because I agree with you. Like, I think you're born a leader or you're not. I think most people, it's like inherent. I don't think you learn leadership qualities as much as you're like, you kind of are like you walk into a room and you know that like, okay, I can lead a group or I can lead this team or whatever it is. And I'm not saying that he is, but I think the monetary side might make more sense to people who've played professional sports. I don't know that, but I'm just saying there's a possibility that it could because they're all getting paid to do this. Whereas we've played on teams where we're money wouldn't matter. Cause it's like, well, his dad or mom makes more money than my mom. That doesn't matter when you're like 12 or even in college really. But now it's like, you're making money based on your abilities. So then like, maybe it does give you more like gut, but it goes back to the point a little bit to counteract as like, then you're probably just not a natural leader anyways, if you need, but it may matter more in an NFL locker room than it does in a college locker room, essentially. No, I think that's a, I think that's a good, good point and good distinction. He does talk about this being a problem going back to college. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's something that's always followed him and always been on his mind, but I agree that it, the money can always change the dynamic would be my guess. Um, Okay, so then we'll move to the second, the biggest takeaway that I had. Um, A lot of the second half of the article is like, he won't be, he's not elite because he um, doesn't take chances. Uh, He doesn't kind of like force the issue at times. He's like too timid. So they talk about his career as, and his like mindset as a quarterback, as a game manager. And it goes back to his time in the Sparty QB room. you know, when you have like the inspirational like poster board above the door that you're supposed to like slap on the way out, like believe like in Ted Lasso, uh, in, in the Sparty QB room, it says two things, one, manage the game and two, make good decisions. Um, first takeaway there is that it reminds me of the little card that Lou's mom got us in college that we had to put on our fridge that said, make good choices. Um, yeah, and just, every Saturday night, we just flip that around and put it back <laughs> to the fridge. Uh, it also reminds me of the Dwight Schrute quote where he's like, when I'm going to do something, I ask myself, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. It's very Dwight Schrutean of the Michigan State. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. <laughs> Dwight Schrute, like um, alignment here. Like I'm picturing them together a little bit. I, that's the crossover we're all looking for. Yeah. Um, 
but it, it kind of like is the foundation of this really, really risk averse playing style that Kirk Cousins plays. And I think Lucas, if you were here, would be like beating this drama. Like he's so annoying to watch sometimes because he's so timid. And I think a lot of Vikings fans who are like in the camp of, I don't like Kirk Cousins. I can't quite put my finger on it. This is one of those things of like, he loves to check down. He just loves to take as what he says, take what the defense gives you above all else, above all else. Um, this is in 2015, his first year as a starter, a quote that he had, uh, he, he was responding to a reporter asking, why does your team struggle on third and long? Sound familiar? Uh, I think it's very important to take what the defense gives you. Sometimes it's a completion of two or three yards that may end up giving, uh, may end up moving the chains. Sometimes it's not being greedy. So this has been his mindset since he got into the league as a starter. Like he's just going to take what's there. And I think it's really important on third down. Like you can't just take what the defense gives you because if it's third and seven, they're going to give you the two yard completion every single time. But what does that do to help your team? Um, you think about his time as the Vikings, like how many times when you're watching the two minute drill, Kirk Cousins checks it down to either the wide open tight end or the wide open running back, like five yards in the middle over him. And they run for about eight yards, get tackled. And it takes 35 seconds. Like, Yes, it was. A, the defense is giving you what benefits the defense. Exactly. Exactly. So you can't just always take what the defense gives you because that's how defense is set up. They can't take away everything. So they're going to give you a thing that helps them the best. Um, and so this like reliance on structure and taking what the defense gives you and being a game manager hasn't always been best for his team and what his coaches have asked of him. Um, and I, this is the part where I'm like, wow. So this is uh, Jay Gruden talking about Kirk Cousins while he was with Washington. If he does have a weakness, it's that he's too much of a perfectionist. He wants everything to be perfect. Unfortunately, I can't get 30 fucking, I can't get guys 30 fucking yards open all the time. There are going to be some tight windows and throws he's going to have to throw someday. And then Kirk Cousins responds like, he said, if, if I played the way that coach wanted me to all the time, I'd throw 20 picks. Cruden's re rebuttal to that was, yeah, and you'd, you'd throw 60 touchdowns too. Um, it's been documented that Zimmer gave the green light to Cousins this year. Like, finally, it was like, you know, Zimmer got a lot of the blame for a lot of this with Kirk Cousins because he, um, it, it, it always felt like Zimmer was holding him back, like, wouldn't let him go for it. But he had the green light from him this year. And Kirk Cousins essentially said, no, thank you. Like, he said, I don't care if a coach gives me a green light or not, I'm still going to do what I think is best for the team. And that is, again, make, manage the game, make good decisions. And to me, that is extremely selfish. And I think that is being a bad teammate. You're actively ignoring what the coaching staff is asking you to do. You make your team worse because you're too afraid to push the ball downfield and have turnovers because it reflects poorly on your stat sheet. To me, it's the exact same as a gunslinger who throws way too many balls into tight spots when the coach is like, hey, we just need you to kind of be a game manager right now. Like, we have a really good defense. We just need you to, like, don't turn the ball over. And the guy just keeps doing it because they don't learn and they think they're better than the defense or whatever. And I'm like, it's the coach's job to maximize the team output, not individual players' personal stats. So if a coach gives you the green light as a quarterback to be more aggressive, you have to be more aggressive. Otherwise, you're being a selfish teammate. It's to me the same thing as if you are in the NBA and you have a play drawn up for a three-point shooter in the corner and the play works and he gets the ball in the corner and he pump fakes or makes an extra pass, he is not benefiting the team. The play was drawn up for him to take that shot. That was the best available shot. Make it or miss it, you got to take that shot. It's like a guy in hockey. If you get the puck in the slot, and the play is there and you should shoot and you make an extra pass because you don't want to be the guy who's always shooting because it might look bad as a teammate, you're being a bad teammate. You got to shoot the puck when you're open. Don't make the extra pass when it's not there. It's like a kid sacrifice bunting when they have not gotten that sign from the coach because they want to be perceived as a good teammate, but you're not helping the team. The coach wanted you to hit, hit. So for me, this was the biggest takeaway of like, it's way less obvious than uh, like, gunslinger quarterback who's just always throwing the ball downfield like Jameis Winston throwing picks looking bad can't correct it it's very obvious like this is hurting the team they're not learning they need to go but for me it's the same thing it's hurting the team they're not learning they're not listening to their coach kind of need to go or change
So that's my big takeaway from the article. I don't know. How you guys feel about that? Connor? I think the one thing that, that I'll say in defense of Kirk Cousins is that like I feel that his whole like game and you kind of touched on it with like Michigan State has been shaped by like his development of being conservative and like that uh, that's something like he needs to grow out of but the problem for him is like he gets like three years with Jay Gruden to grow out of that and honestly like he had pretty good seasons with Jay Gruden in terms of like like numbers wise they were they had winning seasons for two two years while he was in Washington with Jay Gruden and then comes to Minnesota first year has a good year and then it's like average after that like I I know you said like he Zimmer gives him the keys to the car to like do whatever he wants this year I don't really believe that to be honest I don't I don't think he did I think Zimmer I think he's a product of his environment where like and I think we'll learn really quickly under um o'connell if i'm wrong because i think he's gonna be like we're airing the sucker out offensive minded look at what the rams did this year like pound the rock but then they also you know take chances offensively i think zimmer was just not willing to take chances offensively for at least three and a half years and then we get to a point where we're essentially eliminated from the playoffs and then he'll give them the keys to the car and just say, do what you want to do. Well, at this point, it's not beneficial for anybody to like go sling the ball around. We're already eliminated from the playoffs. Like I, I don't actually believe that Zimmer opened the playbook up and just said, you do whatever you want. I don't think that's in Zimmer's nature. I think from what we've learned from his time here, he was pretty controlling over everything. Um, we saw that time and time again. That's why we couldn't keep offensive coordinators. Um, and so I understand the Jay Gruden piece of that slightly contradicts the argument. But when he played for Shanahan, I, I think it was pretty vanilla offense because he hardly played at all. And then once he came into the role with Jay Gruden, obviously, the, I mean, I think you make a good point, but I, I still think he's a product of the Mike Zimmer coaching philosophy. Everyone we've had with Mike Zimmer is the exact same quarterback. Ike, you made some basketball comparisons, and it made me think that maybe Kirk Cousins and Ben Simmons have some parallels. Ben Simmons' coaches have said if Simmons would just shoot three-pointers, he would be like a 33% three-point shooter, like average, maybe slightly below average three-point shooter, but he's such a perfectionist that he won't shoot. And then that kills his team in games because the opponents can just sag off Simmons. They don't have to respect him at the three-point line. Him not taking the shots makes his stats look fine. He's not missing anything but he would help his team so much more if he could shoot because he can do a lot of things and he's skilled. Same thing with Kirk. Kirk has good arm talent. He's a smart quarterback, but by him being a perfectionist, not willing to make those throws, he's hurting his team, even though on the stat sheet, like you're saying, it, it turns out okay for him. Yeah. <clears throat> so Zimmer on the whole discussion said, if you throw an interception, hey, you throw an interception. When plays are there, you got to try to make them. So that's the same thing about what with Ben Simmons, like you were saying, of like, Sometimes it's better to just shoot. It'll change the way the defense has to guard you, all this different stuff, right? Cousins, in response to that, I don't want to throw picks even if the coach gave me the green light too. I'm still pretty much playing the way I've always played. And that to me He's, was like... gives him the green light to throw interceptions. It's not necessarily what's happening there. He's, I think he's speaking in a figure of speech. I don't think he's saying the coach no. is getting right with the offense he's saying he's okay with me throwing picks but i don't necessarily know if that's true i think that that's what zimmer says but i don't believe that that's what zimmer actually thinks and i think that's fair fair but i think i think the interesting part to me is his response to that of i'm still like whether or not you believe if this is real with zimmer if he's actually saying it to him behind the scenes but he said it publicly and cousins had to respond to it and he said, I'm still going to do what I do. And that, that is a, a, a window into his mindset of like, he feels like he knows best and he's going to just play his game regardless of anything that a coach would say to him, whether you believe if it's real or not, like he's just going to keep doing his thing. And I, that to me is the selfish part of like, you're not going to adapt um, to what the team needs because you look at like, the argument has always been like he doesn't make his team better around him. That's the people who don't like Kirk Cousins. And like part of that is his timid nature of like you don't make the team better because you only take what's available. 
and you don't force the issue at any times. And you, it's hard to elevate the team in total if you don't force the issue a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I think that is more of a convenient statement than anything for any argument because you can take the same spin zone and take it a guy who a wide receiver who's like, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And you're like, oh, I respect that. Like, he's just going to keep playing hard. Like to say that he's going to continue to play, how he's going to play. I don't think that he's just alluding to, I'm going to play conservative. I'm going to make sure I only do these things that benefit me. Like, I think that's taking it out of context and manipulating it a little bit more than just like, I think he's saying this, he's going to play quarterback how he's played quarterback. And honestly, in a lot of aspects, it's been really, really good. And I don't think he's necessarily saying, I'm going to do what benefits me over what benefits the team. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. He wouldn't say that. He'd never say that. No. He, yeah. Because he, in, later in this quote, he said, you understand when you hold the football, you hold much of the organization in your hands, so you want to take that seriously. Um, and I, th- I think that is this convenient way of like, I'm not going to throw picks, cause it, and I can talk about it in a way where it's helping the team. It is about the team. It's not about me. But I'm saying well, I don't buy that. Do? I don't believe what does that. that do with all of this, like, does he want to be a Hall of Famer because he has good numbers? Does he want to get paid more because he has good numbers? Like, there, like, there's no benefit for him to just like make sure his stats are good. In my no, opinion. I, don't, I, I don't think it's nefarious. Like, I don't think he has like the secret intention of like I want to just be good and have great stats. But I think that he's like so ingrained in this belief that he has to be careful with the ball and has to only take what's available that he doesn't even realize that it's not benefiting his team in his situation. When you're paying as much to a guy that you are, like you are Kirk Cousins, and you're expecting them to elevate the play of the rest of the team, and he is still playing like a game manager that you can get for a lot cheaper with a lot less headache, that's not benefiting the team. So I, I, I feel like you've got to change a little bit based on your circumstances of who you are you are the leader in the team. You are getting paid like a leader. You have to start playing a little bit more like it, especially when your coaching staff is asking you to. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with you, but I would honestly say this year he played way more like a leader. Like I know your clutch stats are, are really convenient to paint this picture, but I think we can all agree this year he had so many clutch drives that this team literally could have been 12 and 5. Like legitimately, they led so many late drives in games to put his team in a chance to win, and it didn't work out. And I think this year he was what you guys are like, what we wanted him to be in the way that he took chances. He led late game drives, clutch, and then at the end of the season, he was less of that. And that's true. But I think when it mattered early in the season, he was doing everything he could to make our team winners. And so for me, it I don't necessarily agree with it. Like, I think this year he did take strides to what everyone wants him to be. And it just happens to be that our defense sucked this year. And so we couldn't win games down the stretch because our defense was bad. And so in my opinion, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't necessarily see it that way. And like, as far as the bad teammate thing, like that you talked about, that doesn't make sense to me because like, we're talking about like, he's not doing it on purpose. He's just like, this is how he's wired. So like, I don't, I don't get that. So I guess for me, I don't know like what main point you're trying to make. Yeah. My point is that if it's, if it's a guy like Jameis Winston who continues to throw interceptions, you can say the same thing. Like he's not his fault. It's just the way he's wired, but people trade him and harp on him because he's not helping his team win. So, and his coaches need him to change because he had a good defense. Kirk cousins has a bad defense. You need him to take a few more chances. Uh, and he's not because he, again, thinks he's just like knows better than his coaching staff. And I think that to me is a bad teammate. That's a sign of a bad teammate, a guy who thinks that they know better than everybody else around them and aren't willing to conform a little but bit. To, but to me, we just talk about the fact that like he thinks he's doing everything that he needs to be doing for the team. But he's and Jameis just- Winston throwing the ball deep a bunch of times thinks he's doing what he needs to do for the team too. Like, that's my point of like, it's, it's less obvious than a guy who puts his team in a lot of like tricky situations, but I think their intention mentally is the same. And that's my problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I, I, I don't agree with like the clutch time stats because it's all based on his entire career. And, and that to me is not reflective of who he is now. So if it was for this season and it was bad, I would 
you know, that's a different conversation because I felt that this year he did leave a lead a ton of good drives down the stretch. I feel like he was a lot more clutch this year than he has in the past. I feel like he took a we he took a lot more shots this year than he has in the past. But um, but again, it's really easy to manipulate the situation for your own narrative with Kirk Cousins. We've talked about that. Good segment, Dyke. That was fascinating. So, Connor, you wanted to chat about the Wild. Little trade deadline, wild action here. One of the best teams in hockey. Let's get into it. Yeah. So um, I'm going to kind of start the segment and see where I end on it because I kind of have two schools of thought with the Minnesota Wild this year. So we have current cap space of $6 million. Um, obviously, the Wild are playing really well um, in the NHL and in a really difficult central division in the Western Conference. So a couple of things that I've been hearing rumor-wise is like, could the wild try to instead of adding like players at the deadline this year, because we kind of have really, we have a ton of depth in the way that we've had a lot of guys play due to injuries this year. And so people have talked about, Oh, is there an opportunity for that wild to add like draft capital? And so that's one thing that I'd be really interested in because it's kind of a trend. It's kind of like a spin zone on how everyone else operates at the deadline. Any team that's a contender is trying to move good team or good players onto their roster and mortgaging a lot of times their future. And to me, it's an interesting thought to move towards, you know, we have some players further down on our depth chart, like um, Nick Duke said, Nico Sturm, Victor Ash, Jordy Ben, those are guys who we could potentially move and get draft capital while bringing back a lesser player. But due to their spot on the depth chart, we would still be in a competitive spot with a player. So one issue with that is like Victor Ask is like a $4 million contract. So that's going to be a really hard one for people to want to take because he's not like a, a, a true top six forward. Um, but like if we could move him, free up $4 million, get some draft capital, and then make a move on a bigger prospect while like trying to keep our our draft cap or our draft stock in place would be a big thing for me. Um, I think it feels like the wild may take a Timberwolves approach to the deadline where they don't really do a ton because right now it seems like things are clicking and sometimes you bring a guy in and do something new and that doesn't always pan out. But for me, I think the biggest things the wild are looking at at the deadline are like one, um, how, how to remain competitive or get better. And then two, how to like maintain the future. Like Bill Guerin's been very, very outspoken about the previous regime gave away draft picks at an insane clip. And so like he got there with like no draft capital makes it really hard to like grow your team, grow your AHL squad and like build from within, which in the NHL you have to, because the caps are so low that like you pay one guy 10 million like Kaprizov and then all of a sudden your the rest of your team has to kind of suck in a lot of ways or you have to have guys take um you know contract hits make less money which is also challenging so the NHL you really do have to build from within and you can build from the draft similar to like football where you can get a, a high draft pick and that that can turn into Connor McDavid two years later and now you have the best player in hockey type of situation so that's why drafting is like so important. You know, it's way more important than a lot of times in major leagues where you're like drafting for six years out. You know, in the NHL, you can draft for one to two years out. My other thought on the matter is that maybe we go after some expiring contracts. So with the way our cap situation set up um, over the next four years, we're set to take on more of a dead cap hit from Parise and suitors. Um, termination of their contract at the end of last season so one option is to add you know maybe like a big name forward at the deadline that can help bolster our our top six and so like some of the names that i've seen floated around and i think a few of them are not really reasonable but joe pavelski was an all-star claude Giroux was the mvp of the all-star game fucking pigeon fucking pigeon um jeff carter max domey um, Thomas Hurdle, those are like some of the bigger name forwards. A bunch of them are wings. Thomas Hurdle's a center, which would be huge. He's a $5.6 million contract guy. Um, and then Jake DeBrusque recently asked out, he asked for a trade out of Boston. He's a pretty good player, only making $3.65 million. <coughs> Excuse me, but, but, um, 
a guy who wants out of Boston is intriguing to me because it feels like he they, they may take less to move him. So that's a person where I'm like, I wonder if they could throw in Victor Rask, contracts kind of balance out, and then we get him for one year, and then we have an opportunity to re-sign him as an unrestricted free agent if he has a good experience here, which hopefully we make a cup run and he does. Otherwise, we drop the contract off when we take more dead cap hit next year. So the key with all these guys is that we're it's a contract that expires at the end of the year. So we have no obligation going forward, but the biggest piece going back to the original part of this discussion is I, I think it's important that we don't lose a ton of high draft picks. We have a draft pick in every round and two picks in the fifth round. And I think it's important that at the deadline, we either grow grow that number or maintain it as opposed to like losing a bunch. A third thing I've heard floated, which kind of goes back to the draft picks is trying to be a part of like major deals at the deadline. So um, a lot of teams you'll see get in, get involved in like three-way trades. And so the, the initiative for the wild would be to try to send one of those like Nick Bukestad, Nico Sturm, Victor Ras, Jordy Ben, one of those guys in a trade and then get draft capital in return and kind of tag on like a major deal at the deadline. So some teams that might make big deals, Penguins, Bruins, teams like that, that traditionally are playoff teams looking to make a cup run. So that would be an interesting area there to lose, lose a kind of lower tier player for our team and then bring back some draft capital in like a larger scale deal. Like to me, that would be a successful move in building to the future, but it's, it's kind of like we always talked about with the twins. You got to balance. Do how do you want to build the future versus win now? Because I think on all accounts, we have a a cup contending team, so you don't want to dismantle it, but if you can maintain enough while growing to the future, I mean, that's best case scenario. It seems like their window, their competitive window is sort of just opening. Like, you know, you don't want to sell and try to win, but then shorten your window as a result. Yeah. Well, and the tricky part is, is with the taking on more of Brisan Suter's contracts the next four years, we're getting into our window of like, you know, Boldy, Rossi, Kirill's like going to be a superstar. And now we have way less cap to play with because of these dead cap hits. So it's like, it's a bit unnerving how we're going to navigate that. And obviously the wild administration has done an awesome job to this point of constructing the roster and making all this jive. But uh, it is a bit concerning to see how they're going to balance out the roster situation with the cap issues that we're going to have for the next four years when we essentially are hitting our peak window. Do, do we have any faith that the new deals with TNT and uh, ESPN will impact the cap at just the right time for the wild. That that would be intriguing. The one issue sometimes for the wild is they tend to stay under the cap lately. So even if it did get expanded, how much would they move? But that that's a really good point, Isaiah. A new development kind of in the salary cap for the NHL saga. Um. So of all the scenarios, what would be your preferred of the three that you outlined? I think for me, I would like to be involved in like the big three-way trade in getting draft capital. And then I think that it, it kind of how it works out, if you can get all of it, that's great. Where like you can add a, get rid of Victor Ask in that trade. So now we have like closer to 10 million to play with. And now essentially, if we can, you know, combo like Nick Bukestad, Nico Sturm, and like, a, and maybe that same pick we got, or one of the picks we get in the exchange, now we we're either in the same spot or we've grown the pick and then we've added, you know, potential superstar to our lineup. I think for me, the priority though is getting draft capital. I think continuing to build and grow for the future because you'll see a lot of teams like, like Boston who has done that, like for whatever reason, they're able to like sign big names and then they're able to like grow from within too. And that's like where we need to get to in the NHL is you have to have, tons of guys on your roster that you've drafted, developed, and now they're ready to play. And then you plug and play with signings. And again, it all comes back to the dead cap hit that really kind of stings us. But I think adding draft capital would be the biggest thing, but not impacting the team as a whole. Yeah, I I saw the wilder number. I was just going to say, I think your point uh, that you made earlier about like you can have, if you're 
majority of your cap is spent on just a couple guys. It, it doesn't really help that much in the NHL. Like uh, it always makes me think of Toronto because they probably have like the best top line in hockey and they can't get out of the first round. And it's like, what happens in the playoffs is that like, you have to be able to produce on like kind of all of your lines because teams can work so hard to shut down your top line. And if you have zero production beyond your top couple guys, uh, it's going to be really hard to move through a playoff series. So I think uh, personally, I, I think Garen has done a fantastic job. So I kind of trust whatever he's planning for this trade deadline and beyond. He seems to have like a really good approach to a long, like long-term strategy for the wild. He's not like worried about, oh, I've got to make this move now to make the team really good now because I'm going to get fired. I think he has a, a good amount of job security and like confidence in himself. So that's awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. And to give numbers on the dead dead cap situation, so this year it's like 4.7 mil. Next year it goes to 12.7, 14.7, 14.7, and then it goes to 1.6. So like after the 2024-2025 season, we'll stop like paying them large sums. So then it'll give us, you know, way more flexibility. But I agree with your point, Isaiah. I think they've done a really good job of, hey, let's see this thing through. Let's not rush to try to like win right away. And it's honestly, it's been incredible that the Wild have been able to make the playoffs through kind of their rebuild the last few years. And now, like, before you know it, we've made the playoffs the last three years, and now we're gonna, we have potential to be one of the top seeds in the Western Conference this year with, like, a legitimate cup chance. So it's been really impressive. Seems like a forked window almost. They have they have a chance now, and then it's going to be hard for a couple of years. So you want to like win either now or in twenty twenty five beyond. Tricky tricky spot for Bill Guerin for sure. Okay, last part of our Super Bowl podcast. This probably won't come out till after the Super Bowl, but give me your Super Bowl predictions, score and winner. I want the Bengals to win, but I think. The Rams are going to win. Thanks for coming, Lou. Um, I'm going to go Bengals 31, Rams 28. I'm going Bengals 27, Rams 21. Wow, both Bengals. I'm going, I think the Rams are going to win. I'm going to say 27-10 Rams. Wow. D-line's going to have That's a, a feast down. field day out there. It's just like impossible for me right now to pick against Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. Like he's the coolest guy in sports. He, he, has a, he, he has a hard time losing. Like he doesn't know how to. And for whatever reason, he just keeps beating teams that are way better than the Bengals in my brain, but obviously not in reality. And he does it with a bad O line and a bad defense. It's crazy. I've never heard of a quarterback who could do that. Yeah, I don't really like Joe Burrow. He's kind of disrespectful in that, like, he's not the highest paid player on the team, but he acts like the leader. Yeah, it's no, yeah, dude. Like, sit down. You're, you're, what's your second year in the league? You are, you have no right. Yeah, let's compare Kirk Cousins to the greatest <laughs> quarterback ever, guys. That's fair. If we had a rookie deal quarterback, we'd probably win the Super Bowl. Especially one who could elevate those around him. Um, last Kirk Cousins thing. I feel like if him and O'Connell are on the same page, everything I said earlier is just a mute point. So, Or just yeah. everything I, I said earlier kind of, is a non-point. To have this discussion because like it could all change next yeah. year. Yeah. It could blow up in all of our faces too. And like it sounds like he O'Connell likes Kirk Cousins from like press releases, but like he could be saying that and Kirk Cousins could be traded in the next ten weeks. We don't know. Yeah. Connor, you made a really good point earlier though in saying like if Kirk still isn't taking chances next year under a coach that clearly wants to push the ball down the field, then it is just it's a Kirk problem. Like it's just fundamental to who he is and he's never going to change. But yeah. And and I think the one thing too, is like, we've done this before. We're like, Oh, on Twitter, they released the 22 foot view or whatever. where like, all this receivers open downfield. And like, 
I'm advising fans to just realize that like every quarterback in the NFL misses open guys downfield. It's just like, I think to Isaiah's point, it's about finding a guy, Justin Jefferson in one-on-one coverage. He's covered up like a blanket. And sometimes you just got to throw him the damn ball. Yep. And see what happens. Yeah. And hopefully that'll be part of O'Connell's strategy. It's just like Justin Jefferson's better than most corners, better at wide receiver than most people are at covering wide receivers. Let's give him a chance. That'll do it for the week. Thanks for tuning in to your favorite Kirk Cousins podcast. This was the Mini Market Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Mini Market Pod. We'll see you next week. Goals. Peace. I'll never get those 20 minutes back in my life.